Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 142nd, count of 142, Green Grassroots Emergency Rights Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, we are going to be meeting for two full hours as usual uh, with a tremendous um, uh, uh, array of issues to deal with, a wonderful agenda. I will mention at the top that we are not going to meet next week. It's uh, the July 4th weekend. We take off our holidays and um but we will be back two weeks from tomorrow and um i am as you can see at the beach as always we have 34 people with us and we're going to start off um with a brief word about pacifica radio uh, we're waiting for maya von rossen to talk about her book on greener elections and rachel coyle to talk about um uh, the uh, insanity that's going on in ohio i do want and then in the second hour we're going to talk about uh energy as usual and the environment tatanka brick is going to give us the latest on ufos and energy i mean there's a serious issue with um you know what kind of energy we could be getting from reverse engineering outer space technology it seems uh, i think we've crossed the line with ufos in that um, the government u.s government has now officially got a uh um, an agency thanks to danny sheehan and um it's a big deal so we're going to talk about that um, and Kat Kramer, I want to talk to you. You are the movie maven in Los Angeles, and I want to challenge uh, Oliver Stone to a full-on debate about his ridiculous pro-nuclear movie. It's completely insane. And I've seen him interviewed a number of times. And Oliver Stone, you know, a former icon, a great hero of so many of us, has basically gone to work for the tobacco industry. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous what he's saying about of uh, uh, the health effects of radiation among much more. He clearly knows nothing about nuclear power. We are joined by someone who really does know a lot about nuclear power, Carl Grossman. Uh, good to see you, Carl. I see your, uh, by your shirt that you're in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> glad to join you here. Uh, well, Long Island, Hawaii, what different? Anyway, um, so we're gonna proceed. I am gonna put in a word real quick now for Pacifica, we talked about it before, but this is a week where people need to join the Pacifica Radio Network and go to um, uh, New Day Pacifica. I think Milo will put it in the chat, newdaypacifica.org. Sign up with your 25 bucks and you will be able to vote in the election. You may be concerned or confused what uh, station to sign up for. Basically, because Pacifica is on the internet, you can sign up for any station uh, we are, there are a number of us on this call who are running for the board at uh, KPFK in Los Angeles. Tatanka is a candidate. Wendy uh, will be running in, in D.C. with Mike Hirsch. That's WPFW. Uh, I'm running for a re-election. I'm actually, weirdly enough, currently the board chair of KPFK, something I said I'd never do, but here we are. Um, um, Ruth Strauss, Dr. Ruth, is on the board, Nancy Naparco. So, Pick a station that you want to join, but please sign up before Friday to join the Pacifica Radio Network for 25 bucks, and you will be able to vote in the upcoming election. It's actually absolutely essential. Kat Kramer is running for the board, too, at KPFK. It's absolutely essential that we save Pacifica uh, uh, five major radio stations, uh, one each in New York City, uh, D.C., Houston, LA, and the Bay Area, and we need uh, your support 
Uh, Carl, if you'd ever consider running for the BAI board, you're a New Yorker, at least join up and, 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 uh, and pick a station to vote at. Uh, but we, we really, really need your help. Lynn Fireman, you're a radio person. We could possibly eventually uh, get you on a board somewhere. It'd be great. But everybody, I know Dave Saltman has taken the hit and he's joined up at um, uh, WBAI. And uh, so it's really good uh, to do that. Please, again, uh, it's www.newdaypacifica.org. So please sign up and, and join up. Um, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. I do say, I, I was watching the news today. I go to the gym and I sit on the uh, suited elliptical, which is reserved for people over 100. And um, I, I watched the news and there was a lot of talk about this apparent rebellion in Russia. And they're all talking about uh, you know, the danger. Uh, I was shocked to see, by the way, that Russia has more nuclear weapons than any other country in the world, more than, more than the US, more than 5,600 atomic weapons. But they didn't talk about the power plants. And we are in, and we're gonna talk about this in the second hour. We are in desperate danger from the atomic power plants in Ukraine. We've talked about this before, but every week it gets more dangerous because um, these, these reactors at Zaporizhia are not being maintained. Uh, they have spent fuel pools. Uh, they're all shut, by the way, but the, the actual reactors, but the spent fuel pools need cooling. And uh, they, they, somebody, the Russians blame the Ukrainians and vice versa, blew up a dam that threatens the water supply to keep Zaporizhia cool. And it's absolutely terrifying. And I, I have to um, tell you that um, I have been watching a, a show on Netflix called The Days, D-A-Y-S, The Days. And it's about Fukushima. And it's sort of the mirror of the show that HBO did about Chernobyl, which I have to say was the most depressing eight hours of television I've ever watched. And we are now seeing it duplicated on Netflix with this series, uh, uh, I think six or seven episodes on Fukushima. It's horrifying beyond and incredibly depressing, but necessary to watch. And, um, uh, and so I'm just at the point where unit two or three blew up and they're pretty clear on what happened there. This is not exact, neither the Chernobyl series nor this series on Fukushima is what you would call a whitewash. And when I watch this stuff, and then I turn around and think about Oliver Stone glibly running uh, his mouth off about nuclear power, about which he clearly knows nothing, uh, it really infuriates me. So if you're game for some self-abuse uh, that um, is very, very educational, uh, please do tune in. Tune in, if you haven't watched it, watch first, um, uh, uh, the Chernobyl series on HBO, and then watch the days at um, uh, Netflix. And then there's also the new documentary where we are trying to get um, Heidi Heidkamp who made it called The Women of Three Mile Island. And it's about uh, women that I actually interviewed in 1979 and 1980, for God's sakes, about uh, the people who, actually are dying, who've died and are dying at Three Mile Island. One of the big lies, which is continually repeated 
by Oliver Stone, for God's sakes, is that nobody was harmed at Three Mile Island. In 1980, I went in to central Pennsylvania and interviewed people. It was the worst week of my life. Among them, the, some of these women who were, who, whose lives were destroyed by radiation from Three Mile Island. So these are the three, if you really want to get up to speed on nuclear power, the women of Three Mile Island, uh, uh, Chernobyl at HBO, and uh, the days uh, at, at um, Netflix. And I, my, uh, uh, my suggestion on uh, Cherno the Chernobyl and the Fukushima series is, especially with Chernobyl, is to, to tune in like in the morning and watch straight through. Because if you watch three successive nights, which I did for Chernobyl, you're gonna ruin three, three successive nights of sleep. But this thing on Fukushima is very, very powerful. The thing on Chernobyl was uh, absolutely riveting and petrifying. And we're now facing this reality at, at Fukushima, at um, Zaporizhia, which nobody wants to talk about. And anybody who knows anything about nuclear power is absolutely petrified about what could happen next uh, at, at, uh, at Zaporizhia, could be happening as we speak. So that's, that's the following. I do have a piece up, uh, Steve, if you could possibly put the link in at freepress.org. It's called 101 Ways the nuclear power plants suck. And um, uh, you can take a look. I'm going to do another 108 points uh, when when I get the time. Uh, but um, it's a bit. So in the second hour, we're going to talk further about that. Uh, right now, uh, I see we're joined by Ray McClendon. Hi, Ray. Good to see you. Um, uh, also, Julie Levine uh, from the 5G movement is with us. Great to see you. Julie Lynn Feinerman, a radio star, is with us. We got a full boat here. So we want to start, thanks to Wendy Lederman, um, with uh, the discussion with Maya von Rossum. Hi, Maya. How are you? Um, I'm going to unmute you. You have a book about uh, green amendments, and oh. your party, you're, you're involved with an incredible lawsuit. Oh, there we go. I was say. <laughs> hey, we got two of them there. Um, you're involved with an incredible lawsuit that everybody needs to know about. Uh, a bunch of kids basically are suing in the Mon state, state of Montana on an environmental lawsuit that's absolutely critical to our survival. So can you tell us about that, Maya Von Rossum? Yeah. So first and foremost, I can't take credit for the lawsuit. Um, so I was just in Montana to watch it live because the lawsuit is based on one of only three green amendments that exist in um, the United States of America. And for those who were um, have listened to me previously or were on your show previously, you know, I've talked about um, the power importance of having a constitutional green amendment that lifts up and recognizes and protects the rights of all people to pure water, clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments and gives them the same highest constitutional recognition, protection and standing as all the other fundamental rights we hold dear, like rights to free speech and freedom of religion. There have been the three states that have green amendments, Montana, Pennsylvania and New York. And that's it. New York's, we just secured it um, just about a year and a half ago. Um, it was it was passed and added to the Constitution last year. Pennsylvania and Montana's Green Amendments have been around for several decades and actually have been used very powerfully 
over the years. That's part of what I talk about in the book, The Green Amendment, and is what we're going to be talking about on National Green Amendment Day, July 13th. So if you want to know how green amendments work writ large, um, come to National Green Amendment Day. I'm going to be joined by Melissa Martin, who is, along with Wendy, helping to champion and lead the Green Amendment effort in the state of Florida. Now, to the lawsuit. So in Montana, there is a group of 16 youth represented by um, two organizations, the Western Environmental Law Center and Our Children's Trust, that have brought a case asserting that the state's failure to address the climate crisis and actually to do the exact opposite and really perpetuate and grow climate changing emissions from the extraction, transportation and combustion of fossil fuels in the state is a violation of the Bill of Rights section of the Monta Montana Constitution that protects the rights of all people in Montana to a clean and healthful environment. And this lawsuit is about making the case that a safe climate is part of a clean and healthful environment. And therefore, the state's actions lifting up fossil fuels, advancing fossil fuels the way they have, ignoring the climate changing ramifications of government action in the state is resulting in a constitutional violation of Montana's Bill of Rights, which includes a Green Amendment. Fantastic. <laughs> have you put posted links and stuff and so i put into the chat and i'll do it again i just put in um i didn't give an explanation of of the link to national green amendment day and on green amendment day again it's july 13th we always have a live program on green amendment day and this year's green amendment day is going to be giving examples of the many ways that having a constitutional green amendment in pennsylvania montana and new york has really made a difference for protecting water, protecting air, addressing um, toxic sites, uh, helping to defeat um, the advancement of dirty fossil fuels. And we will talk a little bit about this Held v. Montana case. It'll be one of the examples, which is based on Montana's Green Amendment, and again, challenging the climate changing ramifications of government action. The one thing I want to add is, you know, the, the, the organizations involved have pursued this kind of case in a number of states and very often the cases fail on the motion to dismiss and segment and one of the reasons why and i've been saying this for years is because the language that the those cases have depended upon like in alaska and utah and other places is not green amendment language it talks about environmental protection but it really gives the power to the state to define what environmental protection or environmental rights are it doesn't give the power to the people which is what a bill of rights provision um, that meets the green amendment criteria and definition does that gives the power to the people not to the legislature so that's why what is happening in montana is so starkly different than what we've seen in these other states because it has this most powerful green amendment language that is the foundation of the lawsuit and the case was really fascinating it went on for um eight five six seven days 
And the youth got up and talked about all the ways their lives have been devastated by the climate crisis. Experts came forth talking about how Montana government action is releasing massive volumes of climate changing emissions and really impacting the health and the safety of these 16 youth plaintiffs, but also right by extension, the rest of the people of Montana. So it was very effectively put on and it was very interesting. And it was just great to be there because again, I'm trying to get a green amendment in every state constitution across the nation. And, um, and this was a good example of why. What court was this in? Was this a state court or a federal court? This was a state court because it's a state constitutional provision. So it was brought in state court. There's really only one, two other times where a Green Amendment case has been in federal court, and that's because of the vagaries of the legal arguments being made. But generally, Green Amendment um, cases go before state courts because it's about state government action. Were you in the Supreme Court of the state of Montana? No, not yet. This was in the first judicial district. So, right, this is at the trial level. So this was the trial and chances are whoever is victorious in this case, the other party will appeal. So we can surely expect to see this go all the way up to the Montana Supreme Court. Well, who's opposing you? Remember, it's not me. Uh, who's opposing me on green amendments is, you know, but in terms of th this case, so I don't, I don't want to take credit for, you know, what the, what the plaintiffs and the organizations are doing for the green amendment. The opposition, as you can imagine, is industry and their political partners. In the Held v. Montana case, the, the case is against the state. And so the state are the ones pushing back and saying, um, no, this is not a constitutional violation um, at play here. And the, you know, um, and, and the state's bad actions, frankly, should be upheld, which I sorely disagree with. Now, are all the young people that are uh, parties to the suit uh, Montana residents? Yes, they are. And how many are there? 16. And how old are they? Um, they ranged, I think, from 5 to 22, if I understood correctly. When the case was first filed, all of them were a few years younger because it was filed a few <laughs> years ago. Um, but I think if I understood correctly, again, at this point, the age range was 5 to 22. Five? You have a five-year-old? Not me. Remember, it's oh, not the case. I can't take credit. But yeah, I mean, I think there was one as, um, you know, a, in a couple of instances, right, the parent was there on behalf of the children. Um, most of the children testified. In one case, a father testified for two Native American um, youth that were part of the case. I think that those two youngest plaintiffs, um, their their parent was with them in the courtroom, but they did not testify, I think. So my daughter is about to give birth to a child. Can I like file in New Jersey? Can I file my youngest granddaughter to a, a lawsuit in New Jersey? What do you think? Well, in New Jersey, our Green Amendment effort is still underway. So once we get a Green Amendment passed, the New Jersey Green Amendment, um, then, <laughs> then you can think about it. But first, we have to get that passed. And I'm going to give you the website to the Green Amendment um, to the Green Amendment movement for anybody who's in New Jersey and wants to join that effort. Are all these? I'm, I'm going to go to George Ripley in a second. Are all these um, um, Green Amendment? Uh, 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 campaigns state-based 
Yes. So my strategy is to start at the states because state constitutional amendments happen with quite regularity and they really are driven by the people. At the federal level, it's a whole different ballgame, right? And we really know that if we tried to get a federal green amendment now today, we just couldn't succeed. And not only because the politics are so difficult, but because we haven't laid the foundation. Most people haven't thought about this concept. They don't know what a green amendment is. They don't know that they don't have a right to clean and healthy water out of their, you know, in, 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 in their homes or a healthy breath of fresh air. So we have to do the work of letting people understand the power and importance of having this kind of constitutional entitlement. And to me, strategically, as a 30-year environmental activist and attorney, the best way to do that is let's go state by state by state, educating, organizing, and successfully securing Green Amendments, getting the benefit of the power, the legal power and strength they bring to environmental protection within a state, and while we're doing that, we will be creating the foundation necessary for at some time in the not too distant future to get a federal green amendment. So it's all strategy. Okay, great. If you can list the states where you're going with this, and then there must be a central clearinghouse, that'd be great. Uh, George Ripley, George, you, you got your hand up? Yeah, Maya, um, great project, my goodness. And uh, is it a membership organization? Are you? You have you got memberships going nationwide? So I love that question because the my Green Amendments for the Generations is totally supported by donations um, and a few foundation grants, but the foundations have not stepped up in a big way. So it's really a whole lot of you know hard work um, happening to advance this powerful movement. And so if people want to become members. Um, it would be really powerful and really helpful. Membership, you don't have to pay to become a member, but if you'd like to become a member and make a donation, that would be appreciated. I put the main organization website in the chat for thegenerations.org. That's for the national movement. If you go there, there's a tab for active states and you can find the 15 states where green amendments are actively advancing right now. And you can also find a tab for Pennsylvania, Montana, and New York, of course, the three Green Amendment states that are already in existence. Oh, I wrote the message to only just Carl, my dear friend, Carl Grossman. I will change it so that everybody gets this information. Well, Carl Grossman, uh, George, did you get your question? No, so so uh, your, your membership in each state might be around, if you've got an active campaign going in, in various states, then you might have... 30 people uh, in each of the various states where you're working and 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 you're are you working in coalition with some other environmental organizations? Yeah, so so first off, um, you know, I, I don't really have a count of the numbers. Every state effort is different and every state effort is driven by our partners in that state. And those partners include individuals and organizations and progressive political champions. And we come together on a regular basis and develop the strategy and first the language and then the strategy that is right for that state. And my work as the national expert on this and sort of the founder of this pathway and this concept is to really help inspire, educate, and empower the people from that state with the knowledge they need so they can be the champions 
and do the work. And I have the good fortune of working with people like Wendy and Melissa Martin, right? Carl Grossman in New York that in their respective states, you know, really do a whole bunch of that work right there in in Florida, Wendy and, and, and Melissa are the ones that are working with others on the ground to organize volunteers that are spreading out and making this happen. And if you are from Florida, it's the Florida Right to Clean Water is where you're gonna wanna go to to become an active volunteer in that state. Because in Florida, the Green Amendment effort is being, it's an entirely volunteer campaign and it's about people's petition. We need people to sign the petitions so that the amendment can ultimately be placed on the ballot for the people to vote on. In other states, the amendment is being advanced through a legislative process. So progressive legislators working with grassroots organizations are proposing and advancing the Green Amendment proposal. Once it passed through the legislative session, once or twice, depending on the state, then it goes before the people. So there are different kinds of efforts. Um, and Florida is really the one leading the way on this citizen petition pathway. Amazing stuff. I, I assume the a wording of the amendment changes from state to state or are you using a standard language? No, you really can't. I have model language and I have key criteria, but you know, Florida, New Mexico, Washington, Hawaii, Maine, right? These states, they're all very, very different. Texas and you know, their personalities. So what I do is I have key criteria and, and um, model language. And then I work with the leaders in that state to figure out what is the right language for that state? Um, and in fact, on the resources page of the ForTheGenerations.org website, I actually just created a new step-by-step um, -step toolkit for creating a Green Amendment to really help give people the guidance to, to work to advance this. But the most important thing I encourage people to do is you know, take that good guidance, take that good information, learn from it, but please don't try to do this on your own. Let's work together in partnership and develop the right language for your state and the right strategy. Let me help you because it's a very simple concept, but it's actually quite complex to get it right. And it's even more complex to take on the challengers who go after it and try to undermine it with a lot of misinformation. Sounds fantastic. I'm going to call on Wendy and Carl, if you want to jump in real quick, you interviewed Maya, and then we're going to go to Rachel Coyle for the latest Michigas from Ohio. Uh, this is fantastic, Maya. You'll be back with us again, I'm sure. Uh, we have 67 people on the call. Uh, Wendy, go ahead, and then Carl, if you want to put in a quick word, and then we're going to move on. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you so much. I, I have so much to say, so I'm going to try to keep it limited. I just I love having Maya on so much. Her energy is always this amazing. Like she's always just such an uplifting spirit and just so brilliant. And she's right. I mean, there's so many different um, nuanced forces. And in Florida, we need like almost a million signatures. And there's just so many tiny little things. It's it's a fragile thing to have a ballot amendment. So it really is important to do it right and have the right kind of guidance and um and work as a team because it's not something that anyone could do on their own. Um, in Florida, we have um, a single, a single issue rule, a single topic rule. So, like, we can't do something that's like, oh, we want to protect the environment, the air, the land, the water, the sea, the everything. We have to just do one thing at a time. So we have the water one. In her book, which I highly recommend, you guys, like, all the proceeds go to the cause. Like, she's awesome, like that, and it's just such a great read. I highly recommend it. I'll just quickly, quickly read what um. 
uh, the Pennsylvania constitution has where she found that and kind of was like, oh my God, this is the golden nugget and really ran with it and, and made such an amazing movement. But this is, will give you a really good idea. Um, okay, you and you know what? Actually, I've, I turned to the wrong page, so I'm gonna right, skip so we'll that. Do it in two, weeks, you, in two weeks, you can present it. No problem, okay? Well, um, and um, say we, Go ahead, Wendy. Thank, thank you, and I was just gonna say, um, I know like there's some stuff in here about nuclear, so maybe you and, you and Harvey can talk later about his work with the nuclear energy, and Dennis Bernstein's also on the call, and I would love for you guys to meet and talk sometime too. Thank oh, yeah, you so Dennis, much. Dennis, you should uh, interview Maya. Carl Grossman, you've interviewed Maya, then we'll talk to Ruth Strauss, and then we're gonna go to Ohio. Do you wanna say a word or two about Maya? No, you're muted, hold on. No, no, Carl, we probably have, I, 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 is your is your phone on? Is your um, I, I can't hear you, Carl. Uh, we can't get you. I, see if you can fix it. I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute. Ruth Strauss, did you want to say something? Yeah, just a quickie. Maya, great presentation. Harvey, thank you for putting her on our radar. Um, I can't get to your site. It's not loading. And I've tried three different browsers. So maybe so many people are on it. It's crashing or whatever. <laughs> But I just wanted to let you know that. Do you know what's going on? Um, I'm I'm on it right now. I've been loading pages to get the link. So maybe All you're right. on internet I'll keep trying. Well, Thank and, you. And as I said, Ruth is a member of the KPFK board, and uh, she uh, needs your support. So join join Pacifica. Uh, okay, Justin, we're going to get to you, and then uh, we'll go to Ohio with Rachel Coyle. Go ahead, Justin, and then Rachel. Yes, so uh, some uh, other connection to federal law here. The Supreme Court may have gutted the EPA in its latest ruling, but in a previous ruling, it actually upheld the state's rights to have their envi own environmental laws and enforce them. Uh, so this is something that is a perfect strategy nationwide is these green amendments in state constitutions. Okay, great. Thank you so and, much. Uh, and, and just let me say, if I'm unmuted, is that the Green Amendment, Maya's Green Amendment concept has already achieved important victories right away, just a year and a half in New York State, because a court now can point to the Green Amendment and say, yeah, the the defendant has or the plaintiff has the right to a clean environment. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carl, for that. And, and thank you, Maya. Is there a Green Amendment in Ohio? Rachel Coyle, do you know? Not that I've heard. I, I heard it there. People have asked a couple of times, so I'm still waiting for the champion who says, let's work on it. So maybe well, that'll be Rachel. I think in Florida, of course, Ron DeSantis has promised to execute anybody that works for a Green Amendment. So you got to be careful down there, uh, Wendy. Uh, okay, thank you so much, Meyer. We will have you back again and again. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Carl and everybody else. Uh, we have 67 people with us. Rachel Coyle, uh, you're in um, the heart of the heartland there. What's What's the latest Michigan from Ohio? So I'm glad that Maya was talking about the importance of citizen ballot initiatives, because here in Ohio, we are looking at an attack on the right for citizens to collect what is hundreds of thousands of signatures and put an amendment on the ballot and pass things like the Green Amendment or, or literally any issue. Um, so here, one second, I'm going to share some links in the chat while I talk as well. Uh, so basically, Ohio has an election on August 8th. Um, and there's literally going to be just one thing on the ballot in most parts of the state. That's issue one. 
And what issue one would do is it would create, so create minority rule in our state by allowing just 41% of voters to kill a proposed constitutional amendment. Uh, there is no coincidence that this is happening right now while voters are collecting signatures for abortion rights and to raise the minimum wage. Um, it would also force Ohioans to gather thousands more signatures from all 88 counties instead of just the current 44, which is pretty much impossible to do unless you are funded by billionaires. So it would be very difficult for anyone to do a grassroots signature campaign to amend our constitution. It would also remove the 10-day period that you currently get to go out and collect more signatures if you turn your initial batch in and you're a little bit short. Um, and that's a critical 10 days for campaigns that get right up close to the edge and then they figure out they're like one county behind. So really what this would do is it make it so that pretty much only the state legislature and people who tend have happen to have friends who are billionaires uh, would be able to pass citizen led ballot initiatives. Uh, so we are working really hard to get the word out about this election. Part of the problem is that the election is illegal. There, Ohio actually banned uh, August elections last year, except for local fiscal emergencies, which obviously this is not one. Um, and so most people don't think there's going to be an August election because they don't think we can have those anymore. Uh, and they also just, you know, August elections have low turnout rates anyway. So we are spreading the word all over the state just to let people know that this election is even happening. Um, and we've got, I've got here um, a website for you all. Um, that if you want to help us make phone calls or send emails or texts, we would love to have your help um, in getting the word out. We need people to vote no on issue one on August 8th. I've also got the Ohio Voter Guide there because Ohio passed a bunch of new voter restrictions to make it harder to actually vote at all. Voter ID, some of the strictest voter ID in the country. Uh, so that website I just put in there will help folks figure out even how to physically vote um, in this election. And we've got, I've got several videos as well. If you're into TikTok, been making TikToks to make sure young people know uh, what's going on. Um, and it is truly, it's been really difficult to watch because of all the different ways they've attempted to attack our rights throughout this process. Uh, for one, the ballot board, which is the group that actually puts the language on the ballot, um, passed the language incredibly, it's incredibly biased. It says words like elevating the standards to pass an amendment rather than something um, nonpartisan like change or modify the standards. It doesn't include language explaining what current law is. Um, it was actually the language was so partisan at first that the Supreme Court forced them to go back and make it slightly better and they still didn't change things like the word elevate. So it's very frustrating. There's a huge campaign of deception out there telling people that they're actually protecting the Constitution uh, from outside interests by voting yes on this issue, which is just a blatant falsehood. Uh, so we could use any help anyone could could you could do in uh, spreading the word. And I'm happy to answer questions about that as well. I know that was a lot of information. Well, didn't the Ohio Supreme Court uphold the holding of this uh, election? Yes, the Ohio Supreme Court decided they're going to let this election go through. Um, and the only thing they did was they forced the ballot board to go back and make the explanation of what the law would do accurate. Uh, they actually had incorrectly stated um, how many signatures would be required to get on the ballot. And they had incorrectly said that it would apply to any constitutional amendment when actually it would only apply to ones that is citizens collecting signatures. So the legislature would not have the same signature collection barrier.
God, it never ends. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, Sherrod Brown, one of the uh, uh, great senators in the United States Senate, has to run for re-election in Ohio. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, it, it's beyond me. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve uh, Caruso, did you want to say something here, please, Steve? Yeah. The whole thing was passed by resolution, which is not how you create law. They created a law and the resolution doesn't undo it. So it's unconstitutional. Um, also, the money behind the uh, change of this or, or backing this uh, issue was um, Uline Company, which is also contributing to the January 6th rebellion. Um, so they were saying, oh, we want to have this amendment because, you know, we don't want special interest groups coming in here and doing their thing. And that's exactly what they're doing. So thanks. Yes, thanks, thanks for pointing that out. The the person funding the entire Yes on Issue 1 campaign is, like you said, that, that billionaire, billionaire from Illinois. He also is connected to January 6th. Um, and it's pretty ironic that the argument uh, of a yes vote would be to protect the Constitution from outside special interests when the entire campaign is being funded by a guy from Illinois. Unbelievable. John Steiner, John, let's get you unmuted. Yep, here we go. Hey, Rachel, thanks for being on. I, uh, born in Cleveland, grew up in Cincinnati, still have a lot of friends doing whatever we can on this. Two things. I just went to your website, Innovation Ohio, and it says malicious site blocked. And it's actually very challenging to get into your site. So I don't know if you- That is that. not mine, but I can reach out to them and let their digital director know. That would be great. And then yeah. the other thing, do you happen to be doing any work with Bob Furtick with democracy.com? I don't believe so. I don't know that name, but let me put if my you, email in the chat. If and you will put your email address in the chat, I'll send it to you. He's doing what he can. He has probably one of the best lists in all, anywhere in the country, really, but state by state on active Democrats. And he's looking to raise some money on the digital side. I was just on a call with the folks that you may also know. Harvey knows them at the Movement Voter Project, who are working hard on this. And I can send you that information as well. That'd be great. I am putting so, my email in the chat right That's well, what you're doing. And may we get through it enough people to bring them to the polls yeah Rachel you need to be in touch with uh John Steiner here uh he's a great mainstay of our movement and um I'm wondering are they going to do anything to continue funding uh lobotomies for state legislators is that, is that, <laughs> I'll is have that, to check the budget bill which is also currently <laughs> moving forward right now, now yeah. Har Har Harvey come on let's just go back to a little LSD yeah, right. Now, microdosing would be a better requirement, I think. I think right. you're on with us from the Flashpoint uh, 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 show. Uh, Rachel is a, might be well be a great guest for you, uh, as was um, uh, uh, Maya Van Rossen. I don't know if you've ever had her on, uh, Dennis. Um, okay, uh, Rachel, anything else from Ohio that you can depress us with? Sure. If you want to be a little more depressed, we've got a tool for you. Uh, yeah. If you want to help us fight back against the attacks on literally women, children, the low income folks, elderly Ohioans, we've got a budget bill that is genuinely cruel going right now. Um, and we've got a toolkit for folks who want to help us with get some of these bad pieces pulled out. So I'll just put that in there for anyone who's interested. But it's all it's all wild times in Ohio right now. 
Oh God, it's so ugly. It's just, you know, when I grew up in Ohio, it was a, a somewhat liberal state. And uh, the, the transformation of, of Ohio into this pit of hell is very depressing. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, okay, uh, George Ripley, did you want to say something? I also want to take a quick minute, if you're still with us, Ray McClendon, to get an update from Georgia. Uh, and then we'll talk about the upcoming UPS strike. Go ahead, George. The effort, the legislative legislatures of all over the country of the 25 or so states that that empower their citizens with the ballot initiative really are on a campaign to make it harder and harder for citizens to exercise that power and make laws of by and for ourselves. Um, have we done any a program on that, Harvey? Uh, have we brought in an expert on on ballot initiatives throughout the country? No, but it's a great idea. So let's share that possibility. When we reconvene in two weeks, uh, we should deal with it. Absolutely. Uh, it's a very good idea. I mean, what they want to do in Ohio is make it 60%. What they're talking about in Florida is 67%. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's outrageous, beyond outrageous. Uh, oh, okay. So, all right, Rachel, anything else? Not to test you enough for one week. <laughs> All right, well, go take a Valium and uh, come back in a couple of weeks, and we'll be glad to have you with us. Uh, thank you. I wanted to call on Ray McClendon. Ray, uh, thank you for your invocation last week on Juneteenth. Uh, do you got any news for us from uh, from uh, from Georgia? Let me unmute you. Well, <clears throat> well, well, the good news does not come from Georgia, but it comes from Louisiana. The Supreme Court today. Uh, just lifted their stay and uh, dis dismissed uh, that they were not taking the case uh, on the appeal from Louisiana, which now paves the way for the first domino to fall after the Alabama ruling in Allen uh, just a week ago, uh, which means that we, we will likely get uh, redistricted um, seats in Louisiana. Uh, which means we'll probably be able to pick up at least one more uh, black seat in Louisiana. Uh, and that is also going to open the door uh, for remapping potentially to occur in Georgia uh, as well as Tennessee. And we're, we're actually looking at, at um, um, Mississippi as well. So this is this is great news that uh, just by this uh, one ruling alone, it could have impact in several different uh, states across the southeast uh, going into 2024. So uh, we're we are beginning to map out strategy now uh, to look to go into those states as the redistricting occurs and get prepared for. Um, a major effort in 2024 to make sure that we can pick up those uh, seats uh, and get more progressives into Congress. Yeah, it's quite astounding. These have been five to four decisions in which John Roberts and um, Brett Kavanaugh have, uh, have um, uh, sided with the, the, the side of democracy. I mean, um, has the NAACP been taking these guys on like junkets somewhere or I mean, what's going on? <laughs> We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, it is it is amazing that these two guys who built their careers on voter suppression 
have turned around on, on this redistricting situation. If that carries across the whole United States, that's going to have a major impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that that uh, Republicans only have, a, I believe it's a four vote margin now in the House. So uh, the redistricting alone could uh, turn the tide, all other things being equal. I certainly don't expect it to be equal because I think some, some of the uh, other congressional districts that voted Republican where Biden won in those districts, I, I think those are fair game as well. So uh, we're looking at a great opportunity to, to uh, take back the House in 2024. Well, as my mother used to say, from your lips to God's ears, um, um, okay, uh, that's amazing news. Anything oh, near, well, here, Ruth Strauss. No, no, that's it. Oh, here, Ruth Strauss, did you want to ask something of Ray McClendon here? Ruth Strauss. Yeah, oh, you're good. so this is actually to both of you and to everybody. Uh, quite honestly, I'm not sanguine about this, you know, recent uh, bit with the, um, court uh reversing the redistricting because you know five months ago they had outlawed the um statute in alabama that was supposed to give an uh a district um representation for a black representative or black district to get a representative they struck that down now they've reversed so, you know, I don't know whether they're doing that because they're, you know, in trouble with, uh, you know, all their little, uh, you know, financial shenanigans or what, but um, I really don't trust them. And I'm just wondering what, uh, Ray, what you think about that, because it seems like, uh, you know, they've done a, a 180 and it's in the setting of getting caught with their pants down. Well, we don't, we don't trust them. Uh, we're, we're just going to take now the ruling and move forward with it in those jurisdictions uh, to, to use them for whatever reason they came to their senses, we're going to use it to our advantage. We certainly do not trust and we don't know what other underlying ulterior motive they have. You could very well be right uh, with all of the attacks from uh, that have been coming against the court uh, and, and the low um, uh, confidence in the court by the American public could be having an impact. Or Roberts could just finally be getting a conscience after throwing the country into disarray with the initial decision in, in Shelby 10 years ago. Whatever it is, we're going to take advantage of, of this ruling now. And since they have reversed course, this is going to have a domino effect. It started with Alabama, today Louisiana, It'll impact Georgia, uh, uh, probably net Georgia and Texas, and uh, hopefully uh, Tennessee as well. So we're, we're just going to take it for what it is on its face and use it to our advantage. Well, let's hope uh, Dennis Bernstein has said the court is so corrupt, they have to do something that looks normal. I will say in, in terms of the court that we got an astounding decision from Neil Gorsuch on uh, indigenous rights. He wrote a really powerful opinion uh, on the water issue in the Colorado River in favor of the tribes. You remember his mother was the head of uh, EPA and a terribly um, controversial uh, state to say the least, but Gorsuch wrote a really, I was a very serious right winger, wrote a really a, a, a powerful 
pro-indigenous opinion it kind of blew me away. Um, who knows, you know, um, uh, Justin, uh, Justin LeBlanc, uh, Ruth, is, is there more you wanted to say? Ruth, are you done? Okay, Justin, go ahead, Justin. Let's get you unmuted. Then we're gonna go to Carolyn and, uh, to talk about the uh, UPS strike. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, this court is someone is what you have to look behind and between the lines on quite a bit because a lot of these rulings are really to set up for future rulings on other cases. But uh, in this particular one, we look to the past because about uh, a year and some ago, it was actually February 2022, the Supreme Court actually delayed action on the, this particular case stating that there wasn't enough time more than nine months before a general and four months before a primary election, despite the state itself having created the uh, district maps that were so bad in four weeks. And so really this is uh, in view of like Harper versus Moore, where the attempt for state legislatures to override even their own constitutions and their own governors and their own Supreme Courts. Uh, and so this kind of preserves uh, the way for them to do that in the sense that uh, the Supreme Court will dither while Rome burns. Yeah, the, the election. More, the more decision is really hanging over the whole country at this point in time. I mean, the, the Supreme Court could decide to turn over presidential elections to state legislatures, which is the way it was done originally, by the way. So, you know, uh, that that's a Ray, we're going to be watching that very closely. Okay, thank you for that, Ray. And thank you, Justin, a very uh, perceptive uh, observation. Uh, we're now uh, going to go to Carolyn. Carolyn, apparently we're on the brink of the biggest strike in U.S. history. Uh, do you want to talk to us a bit about that? Yes, hi, how are you? How, how's everyone? I, I first want to apologize because my signal is pretty unstable and I cannot get my video on. But the the UPS uh, workers are all organized through Teamsters. And we're talking about the largest company that does transportation of goods. And that's 350,000 members strong. And they're getting ready, they're, they have been negotiating their contract, but the president of the International Union has let the, the UPS administration know that if they don't reach a, a contract by August 1st, when, when it will be past due, uh, that they are going to go to strike. So it is not a, a, a thing to say that, that this will happen, but they're only uh, approved in, in non-financial uh, non uh, wins that, that they're having a, a TA, but they are, they, have, they are not anywhere close to having the contract. So if that doesn't happen, the strike will start on August 1st. And it, is, it has the potential of being the largest and most significant strike on the past decades, and really a, a chance to leveling the, the what it means for the working class to have a piece of what goods they generate the the 
the money and the revenue that they generate should be shared with the employees. As you know, there's there's a lot of publications that say that that CEOs of different companies have make a, about 300 to 400 times the amount that uh, that is paid in average to their workers, and that is absolutely not right. The the UPS strike really has the chance of showing the, the power of the working class and leveling the ground for that working class. So although it's not 100% sure that it's going to happen, because there's always a chance that, that UPS will come to their senses and, and approve this massive uh, contract, that then it, it does have this, this power of, of showing what the working class can do. Fantastic. How many workers, again, would be involved? 350,000 workers, and it is nationwide. So, wow. as you know, because of the, of the size of the company and the kind of deliveries that they do, this has the, the potential of really halting the economy. Uh, and and that's the leverage that they have, and that's the leverage that, that we want. I can tell you that I am a DSA solidarity captain. That means that I I, I support with my co my my colleagues the the strikes that are happening throughout the nation, and we are particularly uh, focused on supporting the Teamsters on this on this strike. Uh, on this possible strike, and and that we are looking forward to seeing this because we see it as a chance for the working class and to establish the 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 power of labor in that working class, so that we you know hopefully excite the labor movement and excite more people to unionize and to to become part of a union, support their unions, and be active with their unions as well. Very good, thank you for that, Carolyn. I wanna ask a tangential question quickly. I don't know if anybody knows this answer, they follow the postal service, but wh wh why is this Louis DeJoy guy still running the postal service? He was put in there by Trump. He's just a total um, uh, corporate um, uh, buccaneer pirate, uh, and he's destroying the postal service. Why hasn't Biden gotten rid of this guy? At the postal service, no, I mean we. He's an oligarch. <laughs> He's an oligarch, and and Biden is not gaining a lot of points on that one. You, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Just wanted to check with you. We we need to talk about UPS in a couple of weeks, but also if we can get somebody to talk about the postal service, our family business uh, was involved with the postal service uh, back in the nineties and. Uh, I, it's, I love the postal service. I love postal workers, and I, I just don't know uh, why this is still going on. Well, uh, uh, thank you for that, Karen. We're gonna get to Wendy, and then we're gonna. Uh, uh, well, let me say right now, if we're at the end here, uh, to my listeners on the Green Power and Wellness Show at PRN, uh, this hour will be ending for you. If you want to join us for the second hour, we're gonna talk about energy, uh, UFOs, and, and uh, again, Pacifica Radio. Uh, go to electionprotection2024.org. Uh, go to our website, and you can get the the recording for the second half of the show, which we're gonna, you're going to be losing now at PRN, listen, having listened to the first half.
Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Wendy Lederman, go ahead, and then we're gonna switch over to energy issues. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I was just gonna ask uh, Carolina while she's here if she wanted to maybe um, say a few of the demands that the UPS workers are asking for. I know that one of them is just to have air conditioning in their trucks oh, while we're in these- Oh, record. come on. When they yeah. you know, don't want seats, for God's sake. <laughs> right. Windows, they want want windows. Breaks. <laughs> so that, that part of the contract was actually just T8, which means that, that the, that the UPS has finally agreed to, to saying that that is needed and that they're going to provide it it's still as a temporary agreement because it's not it's not yet a contract, right? Um, and this was, was tied to a worker dying in California because of a heat stroke. So it's really that severe. And, and places like here in Florida where we just last week were, were in around 105 degrees Fahrenheit. This is, this is inhumane not to have, not to have AC. Then the, the other, um, another big point is that, that the workers want to end the two-tier system where, get, where you have temporary workers that are doing exactly the same type of work that the full-time workers are doing and getting just a fraction of their salary. So, so the solidarity of the people that are more secure economically is very transparent over here. Uh, the, the UPS workers want to have a uniform set of, of rules on, on their wages. Okay, thank you for that. And Wendy, does that answer your question? Um, thank you, yeah. And I was just wondering if she has any links that um, she can put in the chat for any way people can support or promote, or if she wants to send to me and I can put it, I don't know if, if she has the ability, but um, people are asking to uh, try to, thank you. Okay, yes, I'll put some, <laughs> some links over there in the chat. <laughs> thank, thank you. Well, thank you for that. And let's, good luck to the UPS workers. <clears throat> let's, let's hope that they, uh, you know, that management comes to their senses and step down so we get some decent i mean the 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 ratio of um uh executive salaries to worker salaries is is obscene uh to put it mildly i mean this is how you get idiots like uh elon musk in charge of you know major uh, uh operations here so carolyn we want to wish ups people good luck would be glad to have a representative of the actual union i'd love to have a representative of the union for UPS and of the postal workers to, to deal with what's going on here. I don't know why Louis DeJoy is still where he is. It's absolutely obscene that he's still running the postal service and uh, we need to get that changed. Okay, this is still the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. I wanna repeat that we are asking people to please join Pacifica Radio, vote in the upcoming election, go to uh, New Day Pacifica, dot org and, and uh, he looks like daddy warbucks this guy uh DeJoy. and um uh, uh let's get him out of there and let's have a a decent management uh, at pacifica for god's sakes it should be a lot, whole lot better than it is all right we're at the top of the hour we're going to go to uh, energy now i don't see that vinnie de stefano has joined us uh we thought he was going to come on and talk about the assange case maybe he will I do want to start now with energy. I read a, an amazing article today or yesterday. You know, Texas is undergoing a, a horrendous heat wave. 
And this article said basically that the solar panels in Texas are the only thing saving the state, uh, that they, you know, be completely um, uh, uh, short of energy and all the AC would, would be out. And, uh, you know, just like wind power in the winter, uh, really, uh, you know, more, more, there's more wind power in Texas than in any other state in the country, by far, by a factor of at least two for most states. I think Iowa is number two, and I think Texas has two or three times as much uh, energy from wind as Iowa does. 